Good morning, family and friends. Um, I have been saying on my recordings that I was going to start. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to start in the Old Testament. And finally, getting to it, getting through Genesis 1. And I'll be starting it today on Anchor, possibly tomorrow on YouTube. I'm not really sure. But you know what? When God speaks, things happen. We all know that. But um, lots of things happen. But some people call, let's, let's use the President of the United States for an example. He's called the most powerful leader in the world. But more than one former president would disagree because ex-presidents have confessed that their executive orders, they weren't always obeyed and, and that there wasn't much that they could do about it. And I'll give you an example. During President Nixon's first term in office, he ordered the removal of some ugly temporary buildings that were on the mall. They were eyesores that had been there since the World War I era. That was a long time ago. But it took many months for the order before the order was ever obeyed by anyone. So when journalists writing about the imperial presidency, Nixon called the, the whole idea ludicrous. So presidents may speak and they may sign official orders, but that is not a guarantee that anything is going to happen. However, when God speaks, things happen. Something happens. The Bible says in Psalms, it says he spoke. Was it in Psalms? He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Yes, it was in the Psalms. It was Psalms 33 verse 9. So when you consider the acts of God recorded in Genesis 1, you know, you can't help but bow in reverent worship for his creative acts reveal a God of power and wisdom whose word carries authority. His word carries authority. What God says is going to be. You can count on that. So... I really, I really feel excited to be to be able to start in Genesis today, and and to get started in the Old Testament. Um, it seems like I've lately this year especially spent more time in prayer and wanting to spend more time in prayer to uh, just get up even earlier than my husband does and spend that time with the Lord. And I've, I've seen God doing and answering things quickly. Um, and sure, there's a lot more things, a lot more answers to prayer that, uh, that he has not answered as yet. But I begin to see, I begin to sense him in a greater way just from spending more time in his presence, I do believe, and praying in the spirit more. And um, just even as I do these teachings or commenting on the uh, different chapters of the Bible, I feel like the waves of glory roll over me at times. There are times that I'll be reading and just start to break up and, 
and get a lump in my throat and, be, and start to cry. And, and the Lord just seems to move in different ways like that. And it's, it's just amazing. But in saying that, I just want to say that I've noticed more answers to prayer. I've noticed being more aware of his presence every single day throughout the, you know, not, not, you know, throughout every single hour of every single day. Uh, just being more aware of his presence and that has been beautiful. It's just been beautiful. My prayer in my life has always been um, that I want a closer walk with God. Always. That is my, when somebody asks me, what do I want? Uh, unless it was something I needed, like I've needed healing for my eyes lately for my vision and that's been a request but my overall request is always for a closer walk with thee and um you know in the world it it how can i say it it seems hard to to walk ever so close to him like you would really like uh, because we're in this earth realm. It's totally different than the heavenly realm. But, you know, we're doing, we're here. We're here for a purpose. We're, we're living in this time for a purpose in time. And that's God's purpose and what he wants to do with us. We, As we submit to that, the Lord will do with us what he wishes. And when we're, he's done with us here in the earth, we will go home to heaven and not... Um, Not ever, I don't believe, ever, ever feel far away from him. And uh, we, you know, no matter what we feel like, our feelings don't dictate our life, nor do they dictate the truth, because they're so up and down. But you know what? Just to be in his glorious glory, his presence, all the time is going to be worth it all. Just, just to be with him. just to be with him. Okay, let me get back on track here. Because when I think of his presence and I think of being in it in certain instances where I have experienced him in ways that are so out of this world that can't even, not really explainable, but it definitely, when I think of those times, will always make me feel like crying and not a ha an unhappy cry. I don't know what it is. It's a tender cry, a, a love. You can just feel that drawing. Okay, so I was talking about Psalms 33 verse 9. And then when you consider the acts of God recorded in Genesis 1, you can't help but bow in reverent worship for his creative acts reveal a God of power and a, a God of wisdom whose word does carry authority. And then in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, three books of the Bible open with beginnings. 
of Genesis 1-1, Mark 1-1, and John 1-1. And each of these beginnings is important. In John 1-1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and, and it takes us into eternity past when Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, existed as the eternal Son of God. So John wasn't suggesting that Jesus had a beginning. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who existed before all things because he made all things. So the message of the gospel didn't start with the ministry of John the Baptist because the good news of God's grace was announced in Genesis 3 verse 15. And that as uh, Hebrews 11 bears witness, God's promise was believed by people throughout Old Testament history and those who believed were saved. See Galatians 3, 1 through 9, Romans 4. So the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was the beginning of the proclamation of the message concerning Jesus Christ of Nazareth. See Acts 1.21. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1.1 refers to the dateless past when God brought the universe into existence out of nothing. See Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It is the declaration that God created the universe. The detailed explanation of the six days of God's creative work is given in the rest of the chapter. 32 times in this chapter, this creative God is called Elohim a Hebrew word that emphasizes his majesty and his power. And the covenant name Jehovah appears for the first time in Genesis 2, 4. Elohim is a plural noun that is consistently used in connection with singular verbs and adjectives. So Hebrew tenses are singular, dual, or they're plural. And some think that this, this plural form is that grammarians call the, plur, call the plural of majesty. Or it might also be a hint that God exists in three persons. I definitely, um, I did not put a disclaimer on this uh, message, but we believe in God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit. As it says in, in the book of Acts, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in uh, the miracles that the disciples did are still happening today. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And it's through him that we have salvation only. Okay, so um, matter is not eternal. It began when God spoke everything into existence. Scripture doesn't reveal why God chose to start his creative work with a chaotic mess that was dark and it was formless and empty. There's no revelation as to why 
that the Lord did it that way. But the Holy Spirit brooding over the waters would bring order out of chaos and beauty and fullness out of emptiness. He can still do that today with the lives of all who will yield to him. Is that not beautiful scripture? Let me just reread verse 4 and 5. But the Holy Spirit brooding over the waters would bring order out of chaos and beauty and fullness out of emptiness. And verse 6, he can still do that today with the lives of all who will yield to him. And he can. He can bring beauty out of our messes and testimonies out of our tests. The nations that surrounded the people of Israel had ancient traditions that explained the origin of the universe and also mankind. And these myths, which they were myths, involved monsters that battled in deep oceans and gods who fought Genesis, or excuse me, fought battles to bring the universe into being. But the simple account in Genesis actually presents us with one God who alone created all things and is still in control of his creation. So no matter what myths say or what history says, what rumors say, it's what God says that count. So this is God's account in Genesis. And he presents us with one God who alone created all things and is still in control of his creation. Had the Jewish people paid close attention to what Moses wrote, they would never have worshipped the idols of their pagan neighbors. So in chapter 1, verses 3 through 13, there's a pattern to God's activities during the creation week. First he formed and then he he filled. He made three spheres of activity, the heavens, the land masses, and the waters. And then he filled them with appropriate forms of life. So let's look at day one, verses three through five. God commanded the light to shine and then separated the light from the darkness. But how could there be light when the light bearers aren't mentioned? until the fourth day. We might look at verses 14 through 19 in regard to that question, but we, but not right this moment. Since we aren't told that this light came from any of the luminaries that God created, it probably came from God himself, who is light. God is light. John 1, verse 5. And... Wears light as a garment. It says in Psalms 104 and it says in Habakkuk chapter 3. The eternal city will enjoy endless light without the help of the sun, without the help of the moon. See Revelations 22 and 5. So why couldn't there be light at the beginning of time before the luminaries were made? Verse 7 says, life as we know it could not exist without the light of the sun. Paul saw in this creative act the work of God in the new creation, the salvation of the lost. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts.
hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. So in him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, verse 4. In scripture, light is associated with Christ, with the word of God, with God's people, with God's blessing. And while darkness is associated with Satan, um, sin, it's related to death, spiritual ignorance, and divine judgment. And this explains why God separated the light from darkness, for the two have nothing in common. God's people are to walk in the light, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. For he says, for what communion has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 6. From the very first day of creation, God established the principle of separation. Not only did he separate the light from the darkness, the day from the night, but later he also separated the waters above from the waters beneath and the land from the waters. Through Moses, God commanded the people of Israel to remain separated from the nations around them. See Exodus 34, 10 through 17. And when they violated this commandment, they suffered. God's people today need to be careful in their walk. Look at Psalms 1, verse 1. And we need to not be defiled by the world. And I'm going to actually give you the scriptures for those who are studying. And uh, we're just going to take time on this, okay? If, if you don't have the time, then maybe you're not wanting to study with us. So, um, as I said, God's people today need to be careful in their walk and not be defiled by the world. Romans 12, 1 through 2, James 1, verse 7, James 4, verse 4, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So since God is the creator, he has a right to call things whatever he pleases. And so we have day and we have night. The word day can refer to the portion of time when the sun is visible as well as to the whole period of 24 hours composed of evening and morning, as it says in Genesis 1.5. Sometimes biblical writers used day to describe a long period of time in which God accomplishes some special purpose, such as, quote, the day of the Lord like in Isaiah 2, verse 12, or the day of judgment, Matthew 10, verse 15. So when we speak about spiritual things, it's important that we use God's dictionary as well as his vocabulary. Words carry meanings, and giving, giving the wrong meaning to a word could lead to serious trouble. It would be fatal to a patient if a physician confused arsenic with aspirin, right? So medical people are very careful to use accurate terminology. The Christian vocabulary is even more important because eternal death could be the consequence of confusion. 
Bible explains and it illustrates words like sin, grace, forgiveness, justification, and faith. And to change their meanings is to replace God's truth with lies. And the Bible says, Woe to them who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's Isaiah verse, chapter 5, verse 20. And then we go to day 2, verses 6 through 8. God put an expanse between the upper waters and the lower waters, and he made heaven that we know as the sky. It seems that these waters were a vaporous blanket that covered the original creative mass. And when separated from the, the land mass, the lower waters eventually became the ocean and the seas and the upper waters played a part in the flood during Noah's day. The word translated firmament or expanse means to beat out. So in scripture, the sky is sometimes referred to as, as a dome or a covering. However, scripture nowhere supports the pagan um, mythological notion that the sky is some kind of solid covering. The luminaries were set in the expanse. Chapter 1, verse 14 through 17, and that's where the fowl of the air flew. Verse 20. And then we go to day 3, verses 9 through 13. It said, God gathered the waters and caused the dry land to appear thus making earth and seas. So Israel's pagan neighbors believed all kinds of myths about the heavens and earth and the seas, but Moses made it clear that Elohim, the one true God, was Lord of them all. And for the first time, God said that what he had done was good, verse 10, God's creation is still good, even though it travails because of sin. See Romans 8, 20 through 22. And has been ravaged and exploited by sinful people. God also caused, caused plant life to appear on the earth. The grasses, the seed-producing herbs, and the fruit-bearing trees. God decreed that each would produce after its kind, which helps to make possible order in nature. God has set reproductive limits for both plants and animals because he is the Lord of creation. There's no suggestion here of any kind of evolution whatsoever. So God was preparing the earth for habitation for humans and for animals, and the plants would help to provide their food. And then a second time, God said that his work was good in verse 12. And in chapter 1, verses 14 through 27, God has now created three special spaces, the land, the seas, and the expanse of the sky. During the next three creative days, he will fill these spaces. So day four, as we go to chapter 14 through 19, 
Into the expanse of the sky, God placed the heavenly bodies and assigned them their work to divide the day and night add, and to provide signs to mark off days, years, and seasons. So light had already appeared on the first day, but now it was concentrated in these heavenly bodies. Because of their religious observances, the Jews needed to know the times and the seasons when the Sabbath arrived and ended, and when it was a new month, and when it was time to celebrate their annual feast. See Leviticus 26. So before the invitation of the invitation before the invention of the clock and the invention of the compass the activities of human life were closely linked to nature's cycles navigators depended on the stars actually to direct them Israel would need the help of the heavenly bodies to direct their activities and God would personally use signs in the heavens to speak to his people on earth. Israel was commanded not to imitate their pagan neighbors by worshiping the heavenly bodies. <clears throat> so they were um, <clears throat> definitely commanded not to imitate <clears throat> worshiping like the sun, the moon, the stars, and all that. You can find that in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 17. So they were to worship the true God who created the heavenly host, the army of heaven that did his bidding. However, the Jews didn't obey God's commandment. And we find that in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zephaniah. And, and they suffered greatly for their sins. The ancient peoples were fascinated by the moon, the stars, and the movements of the sun and plants, and it was but a short step from admiration to worship. So if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, wrote Ralph Waldo Emerson, how would men believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God which had been shown good question day 5 verses 20 through 23 God had created the sky and the waters and now he filled them abundantly with living creatures he made birds to fly in the sky and aquatic creatures to frolic in the seas and then the scripture says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. In this great and wide sea, in which are innumerable, teeming things, living things, both small and great. You'll find that in Psalms 104. A new element is added to God's work on this day. He not only called his work good, but he blessed the creatures that he had made. So this is the first time the word bless is used in the Bible. This is the first. Um, and then God's blessing enabled the creatures and the fowl to reproduce. Man, that's amazing. 
His blessing upon them enabled the creatures and the fowls of the air to reproduce abundantly and enjoy all that he had made for them. So God would also bless the first man and woman, Genesis 1:28. The Sabbath day, Genesis 2, verse 3, and Noah and his family, Genesis 9, verse 2. After creation, perhaps the most important occasion for God's blessing was when he gave his gracious covenant to Abraham and his descendants in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And we'll get to those chapters. It's going to be exciting. Um, okay, the blessing has reached down to God's people today. See Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. And then on day 6, we go to verses 24 through 31. And God had formed the sky, and he had filled filled it with heavenly luminaries and flying birds. He had formed the seas and he had filled the waters with various aquatic creatures. Creation reaches its climax when on the sixth day he filled the land with animal life and then he created the first man who with his wife would have dominion over the earth and its creatures. And like the first man, the animals were formed out of the dust of the ground. Chapter 2, verse 7, which explains why the bodies of both humans and animals go back to dust after death. See Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Humans and animals are different no matter how intelligent some animals may appear to be or how much they are taught. Animals are not endowed with the image of God as are humans. So the creation of the first man is seen as a very special occasion for there's a consultation prior to the event where God says, let us make man in our image. Sounds like the conclusion of a divine deliberation among the persons of the Godhead. And then uh, verse 12, God couldn't have been talking with the angels about his plans because angels weren't made in God's image. And angels had nothing to do with the creation of Adam. So the Bible says, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. <clears throat> Excuse me. The verb formed suggests the potter making a work of art in his skilled hands. The human body is indeed a work of art, an amazing complex organism that only the wisdom of God can design and the power of God create. The physical matter for Adam's body came from the ground, for the name Adam means taken out of the ground. But the life Adam possessed came from God. And of course, God is spirit and doesn't have lungs for breathing. So this statement is what theologians call an anthro anthro poem 
anthropomorphism, anthro anthropomorphism, and I just can only hope I said that right. The using of human characteristics to explain a divine work or attribute. Several important facts must be noted that the origin of humans, about the origin of humans. First, we were created by God. We are not the products of some galactic accident, nor are we the occupants of the top rung of an evolution ladder. God made us, which means we are creatures and wholly dependent upon him. For in him we live and move and have our being. It says in Acts 17, verse 28. Now Luke, in chapter 3, verse 38, calls Adam the son of God. So, secondly, we were created in God's image, Genesis 2, 26 through 27. Unlike the angels and the animals, humans can have a very special relationship with God. He not only gave us personality, he not only gave us minds to think with, emotions to feel with, and wills for making decisions, but he also gave us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and to worship him. The image of God in men and women has been marred by sin, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. But through faith in Christ and submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, believers can have the divine nature renewed within them. 2 Peter 1.4 Let me see, should I give those? Those are quite a few references. Through the faith in Christ and submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, believers can have the divine nature renewed within them. Let me go ahead and give you those for those of you who are taking notes. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 24. Colossians 3, verse 9 through 10. Romans 12, 2. And 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. So, let's see. When we see Jesus, all of God's children will share in the glorious image of Christ. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And third, we were created to have dominion over the earth, as it says in Genesis 2, 26 through 28. And Adam and Eve were the first regents over God's creation. So the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. See Psalms 115, verse 16. But when Adam believed Satan's lie and ate of the forbidden fruit, he lost his kingship, and now sin and death reign over the earth. Romans 5, 12 through 21. And when Jesus Christ, the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, came to earth, he exercised the dominion that the first Adam had lost. So he demonstrated that he had authority over the fish, 
the fowl and the animals. And then when he died on the cross, he conquered sin, death, so that no, excuse me, so that now grace can reign. See Romans 5, 21. And God's people can, quote, reign in life through Jesus Christ, verse 17. And one day when he returns, Jesus will restore to his own the dominion that was lost because of Adam. See Hebrews 2, verse 5. So both Adam and the animal creation were vegetarians. Were vegetarians until after the flood in Genesis 1, 29 through 30. <clears throat> Isaiah 11, 7 indicates that the carnivorous beast will return to his diet when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. So forth, this wonderful creator deserves our worship. He deserves our praise and our obedience. When God surveyed his creation, he saw that it was very good. Contrary to what some religions and philosophies teach, creation is not evil and it isn't a sin to enjoy the good gifts that God shares with us. 1 Timothy 6:17. David surveyed God's creation and asked, "What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him?" Psalms 8:4. The earth is but a tiny planet orbiting in a vast galaxy, and yet, quote, "The earth is the Lord's." Verse 24, verse 1. I mean chapter 24, verse 1. So it's the one planet he has chosen to visit and to redeem. The heavenly creatures before God's throne praise him for his creation, and so should we. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. They are and were created. Revelation 4.11 so when we bow at meals to thank him for the food he provides, when we see the sunshine and the rain provided at no expense to us, and when we watch the progress of the seasons, we should lift our hearts to, to praise the Creator for his faithfulness and his generosity. And then finally, we must be good stewards of creation. This means we should respect our fellow human beings who are also made in the image of God, Genesis 9, 6. It means appreciating the gifts that we have in creation and not wasting or exploiting them. And we'll look into these matters in greater detail in further studies as we go. But it is worth noting that we can't honor the God of creation if we dishonor his creation. We must accept creation as a gift, guard it as a precious treasure, and invest it for the glory of God. Let's see. Um... some of us 
And if he created it instantly, why would he take six days to restore it? Okay, I skipped a portion of this because I didn't want to get into it right now, but let me back up because the Lord's good work and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalms 145 now. Nine, excuse me. Two, six. Okay, John describes seven days in the life of Jesus. Obviously a parallel to Genesis 1. Moses wrote of the old creation, but John of the new creation. So the Hebrew word bara means to initiate something new, to bring into existence. It's used in the creation account to describe the, the creation of the sea creatures and fell, Genesis 12.1. So the creation of man and woman, verse 27, and the whole work of creation, chapter 1, verses chapter 1. chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 so there's this gap theory stated by G.H. Pember's book called Earth's Earliest Ages and it was popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible and it affirms the original creation of Genesis 1-1 was judged when Satan fell and that verses 3 describe a remaking of the ruined creation. Verse 2 should read and the earth became without form and void. So there was a gap quote of unknown duration between the first two verses of Genesis but then again why would God ruin the whole creation just because of Satan's rebellion. And if he created it instantly, why would he take six days to restore it? So there are, there are capable, capable defenders of both views and they all claim that the Hebrew text is on their side. But to me it appears that verse three are describing God's original acts of creation and that we don't have to put a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 in order to solve any problems. <clears throat> so the image in verse 2 is that of the eagle hovering over its young, Deuteronomy 32.11. In both the Hebrew, or in parentheses, ruah, and the Greek, pneuma, the word for spirit also means wind. See John 3 verse 8. So the verse could be translated, quote, and God's wind swept across the waters. However, spirit seems to be the logical translation. So without form and void is the Hebrew phrase tohu wabahu, which describes utter waste. It describes vanity and ruin. And Jeremiah borrowed the image to describe God's judgment of the land of Judah in Jeremiah 4, verse 23. And Isaiah used it to describe the ruin of Edom 
So some commentators believe that God's work on the fourth day was not to create the luminaries, but to assign them their tasks. But the description in Genesis 1, 14 through 19, parallels that of the other five days and gives every evidence of explaining the creative act of God. So when speaking of 24-hour day, the Jewish people said evening and morning rather than morning and evening because their days started with sunset, not sunrise. So thus sunset on Thursday evening ushered in Saturday and sunset on Friday ushered in the Sabbath day. So then in the garden people with who not with people who depend on their astrological charts for guidance are following ancient pagan customs that are useless there's no evidence that the, the position of the heavenly bodies has any influence on human life on earth The Bible condemns all human attempts to foresee or control the future. So the statement that the sun and moon rule over the day and night respectively doesn't mean that they exert special influence on the affairs of people, but that day and night are their spheres of operation. So according to the rotation of the earth, its orbit around the sun and the moon's orbit around the earth the sun and moon govern how much light there will be on earth so even though many animals are stronger than we are and live longer than we do God has given humans dominion over the animals So this doesn't mean that we can abuse animal life and do whatever we please with God's creatures. See Jeremiah 27, 5. While animals have been given to serve us, we must treat them as creatures made by God. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. See Proverbs 12, verse 10. Um, Also Deuteronomy, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And then God takes care of the animals. See Psalms 36, 6, Psalms 104, 10 through 18, and then Matthew 6, 26. And God knows when they suffer. See Joel 1, 18 through 20 and 2 through 2 verse 22 Jonah 4 verse 11 so even the way that we treat helpless birds is a concern to God those who abuse and who exploit God's creation they're going to one day be judged for that Revelations 11 18 so you have a similar dialogue recorded in Genesis 3 22 chapter 11 7 and even see Isaiah 6 verse 8 
As we have seen, the Hebrew word ruah means breath and spirit or spirit. So the breath of God brought life to Adam just as the spirit of God brings eternal life to the sinner who believes on Christ. John 3, verse 7 through 8. And then dominion over the earth and its creatures may have been the privilege that Lucifer wanted when he rebelled against God and led some of the angels in revolt against the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, it speaks primarily about the fall of the king of Babylon, but behind the mysterious passage lurks the image of the sun of the morning. So the angel who wanted to be as God and promised even to make Eve like God. See Genesis 3 verse 5. Okay, tomorrow um, I'm going to close right there on Genesis chapter 1 and tomorrow Tomorrow I may be putting it on YouTube, but if not, I also may be putting Genesis chapter 2 on um, on Anchor. I'm not really sure, but I'll, I'll do what I can. But I just want to say God bless you each and every one, and I pray that uh, as we get started in the uh, Old Testament, that I hope you're as excited as I am. I have not actually read straight through the Old Testament for quite a long time, um, but it's about time that I did that again, I believe. So it's going to be interesting. All right, thank you, and God bless you each and every one. Thank you.